Okay, we are recording. Is everybody ready to go? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> The Down Below podcast was our last best hope to analyze. We failed. But in the year of the spoiler war, it became something greater. Our last best hope for answers. The year is 2015. The show down below. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Down Below, a Babylon 5 intro cast. I'm Will. I am Anne. I'm Heidi. Today we are joined by a return visitor down below. Say hello to Elias. Hey. hey! Hey everybody, glad to be back. Really excited about this episode, it's a really good one. Yeah, glad to have you back. This was your was this your first choice or one of your top choices? Um my first choice was the last episode of Sever Dreams, but uh but that's okay because uh, like I was saying before, any any one of these four episodes is uh the past three and including this one are are really good ones because they mark a big a big big turn in the in the course of the show. Uh, you know, um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> Guys, you don't know the struggles we've had this morning <laughs> before we recorded. Today we are here to discuss episode 11 of season three, Ceremonies of Light and Dark. But first, a word from the ISN Underground. Hello out there. This is our first ISN Underground Report. We're coming to you from an undisclosed location where we have been working tirelessly and at great risk to bring you the news that the Earth government doesn't want you to hear. Coming up, we have a monumental interview with a senator in hiding, and we bring you a frontline report of the devastation on Mars. But first, news from one of the great hopes of the resistance, Babylon 5. Nightwatch members remaining on Babylon 5 after it broke from Earth attempted to assassinate Ambassador Delenn of the Mimbari. Although their plan failed, thanks to the efforts of Captain Sheridan and his crew, at least two Mimbari were killed. As our viewers have likely heard, Ambassador Delenn and the Mimbari remain the main deterrent to Earth's takeover of Babylon 5, and we should expect future incidents such as this, as Babylon 5 has reopened. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain. And good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us 
at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast on iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. So guys, with this episode, we are officially halfway through the series. Yeah. There's major change happening. I know, I was thinking about that the other day, about that we were halfway through, and I was like, oh, that's kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> um, I meant to Great ask you Great timing on uh, JMS's part, though, isn't it? It's halfway through the series, and this huge, big shift has just happened in the series as well. Yeah, it's like a big reboot of the series, almost, in a sense. Like I was saying before, this episode ends with the first line, with the uh, last line from the uh, pilot movie, you know, when he says, tell the ships that Babylon 5 is open for business, you know, it's like going back to that and starting again, kind of in this new persona as an independent state, mm-hmm. which is pretty exciting. Ceremonies originally aired April, I don't think that's right, I swear not April 1st, but I think it's April 8th. In 1996, it was written, uh, directed by John C. Flynn, who last directed The Long Twilight Struggle, the end of the non Centauri War. And it was written by JMS. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's the start with the recap. So the episode begins with Ivanova watching the Night Watch guys be shipped out, the ones they could find anyway, and the rest the people leaving were heading for Orion 7 and Proxima 3. So Garibaldi enters and explains that he broke his arm during the fight last <laughs> week. This was so awkward. Retcon, I mean, retcon. Yep. He could have just, like, not... They could have just, like, not mentioned it, or he could have just or made some kind of comment about how he broke his arm, but they're acting like he never saw Garibaldi at the end of last episode. Well, I heard he quite recently... Yeah. Heard a comment recently that it was probably Franklin who broke his arm during the examination. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll go with that explanation. I heard yeah. I heard a story about this about how um, he really did break his hand on set, um, and um, the, uh, the actor who plays him is basically such such a badass that he didn't tell anybody until the end of the day's shooting that he'd broken his hand. He just went through a whole day of shooting with a broken hand. And at the end of the day, he was like, yeah, my hand's probably kind of broken. Mm. And they're like, uh, and they're like what? Uh, but yeah, so... He's just a hard man. In and out <laughs> of character. Yeah, Delenn must know some really good tailors because the sleeve... He comes in, he has later, goes around and over his cast. Yeah. I was going to say, ask Andrea Thompson how hard of a man he is. They weren't married. They were married for, what, two years, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> um, Garibaldi says it's quiet out, everybody's stunned, but the people don't really like comm channels being shut down. Since it was installed by Earth Central, they don't want to risk Earth being able to get in and shut them down. But Garibaldi has the access code, so he's going to use them to fix everything. Sheridan comments about, well, or they're asking Sheridan about how he, when he's going to put his uniform back on, he's not going to do it until everything's done, but he's going to go out and make his rounds. Even though it's risky, but he's not going to have an escort. Interesting, too, because of 
you know, Straczynski really likes to get into his symbolism and kind of the symbolism of Sheridan walking around now with just like this white shirt. You know, it's like, and it almost has, it's got, it doesn't have what we would call like modern like collars to the shirt. You know, it's like a, it, it, it's a collarless white shirt that buttons all the way up. So it almost kind of looks a little bit priestly in a way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's all, and it's all white. You know, and so, and he goes among the people, you know, with the dressed in white and stuff. So, I mean, they're really like sort of playing up this, this, uh, traditional, like, um, yeah, like almost angelic, like leader type that, uh, he's sort of starting to embody. Mm, yuck. So is he like the one now? Sinclair is no longer he's, the one. Yeah, I don't know. He, Sinclair is still Ranger the other one. one. <laughs> yeah. Sinclair is still oh, Ranger one. Yeah. He's probably also not the one. <laughs> Someone not the one. got to call Zathras up, get his yeah. approval. Yeah. <laughs> not the one. Maybe he's the other one. The other one. <laughs> um, they're twinsies. <laughs> we'll find that out. Oh. Well, they're both married to Delenn. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> not good. Hey, you know that's that's just the way those Bombari roll. They, they live in really, the dream. They seem really rigid, but they got a ritual for that too. You know. What I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know when she started talking about that ceremony, I was like, "Hey, that's the one that she married Sinclair." <laughs> exactly. No, but it is though, and it is the same ritual. Yep. Whoa, I'm knocking stuff over. <laughs> but she would have had to like feed him or something, or they would have had to stare into each other's eyes while eating things or something like that? Was that what it was? And then you were married, stared meaningfully? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> they have plenty of meaningful stares <laughs> throughout yeah, I, this season. <laughs> Delenn is speaking to the captains of the ships that helped them out. She's giving them Sheridan's thanks. And when they leave, Lanier tells her that fleet captain... The nine wants to board the station and Lanier says that, you know, she's asking him his opinion of what's happening and he's saying it doesn't really matter. They start talking about how she's saying like prophecy is a poor guide to the future because <laughs> you don't know until it's already up on you. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't stop her from letting it guide her everywhere. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, I, think, I think it's yeah. a really interesting perspective coming from a member of the religious cast. Yeah. Especially because um, of all the prophecies involved with the return of the shadows that she, you know, believes in so implicitly, and uh, it's interesting. It's, it's interesting to see a little bit behind the veil from of her, you know, because she was a member of the Great Council, so she has to give that kind of almost like lip service to traditions and things like prophecies but when you hear her just between her and Lanier she's like yeah prophecy exists but you know it's no it's no way to guide it's no way to make your future decisions with because (laughs) you you know what I mean because don't let prophecy determine what you're going to do with yourself because it will take care of itself and then you'll know it in the moment kind of thing so just an interesting perspective to hear from Delenn and that's a good way to think about prophecy because uh, usually they'll like, you know, try to change it or try to 
um, figure out how it's going to happen. And it's like, okay, well, if it's going to happen, then you're not going to be able to change it. And if it's going to happen, it's just going to happen whether you're thinking about it or not. So just, you know, don't worry about it. Well, especially when, you know, it was just, what, last episode or the episode before with Lady Mirella and her prophecies yeah. about, about both um, Veer and Londo and their futures. You know, so there's a lot of prophecy talk going on around here. Is this the first time that they've explicitly stated their prophecy? Because you said, you know, unite with the other half of our, the soul in a war with the ancient enemy. This is like really the first time they've explicitly said what the prophecy is, if I'm not mistaken. Lanier mentions it at the in the first episode of the second season when he has like his exposition moment while Delenna's in her cocoon and he's sort of and he tells them about how the why the Mimbari ended the war and the thing with the souls and human and Mimbari souls being reincarnated in each other's bodies yeah. and so he, he did he, like, but did he say? I know he did, but did he say that we have to unite to face an, like an ancient enemy? He he did. He left that part out, I think. Yeah, um, he didn't specifically mention that, but he sort of implied that you know it was important for the future that they not fight anymore. Kind of, kind of was the idea. And um, but yeah, I think you're right in that they don't explicitly state it like that until right here. Yeah, and we've always got to remember, man, Bari don't tell you the whole truth. Not even to one another. Right. Only what they need to know. Unless there's a ceremony involved. Right. Hmm. You see Sheridan walking through the Zocalo, and a sniper has him in his crosshairs, and we get the opening credits. Sorry, no. (laughs) So Don Stroud, who is the guy who plays the leader here, Boggs, he was in TKO. It's really interesting. This guy, this particular actor, has had a very, very interesting career because um, during the seventies, he was like a, he was a really popular film actor. He he was the villain opposite um, Clint Eastwood, I think, in a, in a major um, film, and he was very popular. And he was also. Um, Really, he didn't have the scar and the thing with his eye at that point when he was younger. And he was, like, a very, very famous actor for his time. He actually posed in Playgirl and stuff oh, like that. Oh, wait, that guy? Yeah, 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 we looked at those pictures when we did the episode oh, yeah. TKO. <laughs> yeah. well, all you had to say was Playgirl. I would remember. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, he, he does play that alien advisor guy in TKO. Yeah, Caliban. But, um... Actually, and what happened to his, what happened with his eye was that um, only a few years before this episode, I think like in 1990 or 89 or something like that, he was coming home and he saw these people, uh, a bunch of people like beating up somebody in an alley. There was like four guys that were basically beating up this gay guy in an alley to the point where, I mean, he thought he was going to kill him. So Don Stroud got in the middle of it and saved the guy's life but got stabbed, like, six times, and including losing his eye in that fight. And, um... My gosh. Yeah, and... But he saved the guy's life, though. And, uh... You know, and and he himself survived, obviously, but that scar with his eye only happened, like, a few years before we actually are seeing him on the screen. And, um... You know, that just shows what a good, you know... He plays a really good villain, but a lot of people say, you know, what a great guy Don Stroud is. And 
you know, and that you can see it. He, you know, got himself carved up to save somebody else's life that he didn't even know. Wow. Yeah. It's one of those stories, even if you've heard it before, it, it, it doesn't lose its impact. No, it really doesn't. You know, like it really, I mean, the man, the, the man's a good guy, you know. Mm. The sniper, I think he's just listed as sniper throughout the episode. I mean, he's listed in the credits. Uh, he's about to fire when he's stopped by Boggs. He was supposed to wait because he didn't want to make Sheridan a martyr, but Boggs says that they'll eventually have their pound of flesh. Sniper what is dude. it with um, down below that really does something to bit part act? Is I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's very hard to watch. Because <laughs> elsewhere, elsewhere um, your bit part actors seem pretty decent, but as soon as they enter down below, something happens. Right. <laughs> I don't know. It's air. Yeah, it's the bad air down there, I think. Mm. Delenn and Lanier. I keep wanting to call them Delenier. <laughs> the <laughs> That's a super name. Yeah. Um, Lanier wishes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's doodled then, in his the, notebook somewhere. You know, he's got like he's, he's got like a little Delenn plushie that he talks to at night. Aww. Oh, creepy. Oh. <laughs> Well, it puts then, a whole different um, interpretation of his um, motivations during the time she was in the chrysalis, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, yeah, Delenn and Lanier meeting up with Marcus. They think everything's safe around there. Marcus, uh, we find out Marcus doesn't consider Earth government to be his government. They just collect taxes. Um, uh, Delenn, I meant to write down the name that she calls it, but she calls for the rebirth ceremony. The Nafakcha. Nafakcha, yeah. And so to help everybody heal. But Marcus doesn't think it's a good idea. He thinks everybody's going to be doing their own ceremonies for a while. Does it seem like Marcus... Okay, how do I put this? So Marcus has spent a lot of time on Minbar, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. He was trained as a, as yeah. a man. And it the seems impression like... The impression I get is he was there for about a year training. Oh, okay. And whether all Mimbar have the same religion, it seems that way, I guess. So they um, they do religious ceremonies with the people training? Yes. Okay. But, you have but to he's not... Rituals, in Mimbari culture, though, rituals aren't strictly a religious thing, though. Like their whole society is based around, it, seemingly the the these rituals and their and their structures. You know, they seem like a yeah. highly ritualized society just in general. So, you know, just like we we've got lots of rituals that we do culturally that aren't necessarily religious. Like I think that, yeah, uh, you know, it's more about less about religion. I think for them, and more about like philosophy. You know, the same way like. Um, you know, like Zen Zen Buddhism is, or something like that. It's not really a religion. It's a philosophy that's got lots of ritual in it, for mainly for guiding the mind and meditation and that kind of thing. But yeah, it's not really strictly a religious thing. It's not okay. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Except this one has religious aspects to it, because we find out part of it was done in the uh, religious exchange program. Right. 
Right, that's true. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think true. to a degree from Ambari, those things aren't really separate culturally the way they are in our society. You know, things sometimes like sometimes and sometimes not. It's 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 a very fluid thing. Like you said, they're a structured society, but you do have the religious caste with some religious rituals of their own. It, but they overlap in a way, and it's it's just. As you watch this more and more, you you do notice the nuances that you don't get the first time through because it because the land is of the religious caste. It's presented as a religious ritual, but it might not be as you say. Yeah, and plus, I think the rituals have different. Perhaps they focus on different aspects of the rituals depending on when they do them. You know, because like this, like they said, this ritual is a rebirth ceremony to try and you know it's it's about moving forward and leaving behind what was uh, in your past but it can but part of the ritual is also used as a wedding ceremony you know and so you can see how having a wedding ceremony is to a degree having a ritual about moving forward into a new place in your life but see and that's how they can use the same ritual for sort of for different connotations, depending on who's doing it and why, sort of, seemingly. Mm-hmm. You know, like, if the fruit's involved, you're getting married. If the fruit's not involved, maybe not so much. Mm. So, like, instead of saying, there's an app for that, they can say, there's a ritual for that. Literally. <laughs> oh, yes. Literally. <laughs> definitely. You know, you, know, you know that they've got a GPS ritual. <laughs> <laughs> oh, holy Garmin, tell me where I am. <laughs> Next, we see Earth officers perform a ceremony for those that died during the battles. They commit the bodies to the deep. Yeah. Supported by Star Furies. I think it's only one of many they've had to go through um, because they didn't just lose Star Fury pilots, they lost um, security personnel as well. Yes, quite a few, yeah. And it's interesting, too, because you see Sheridan in uniform again for this, and they even say in that first episode, in that first scene of the episode, you know, when, uh, I forget whether it's Garibaldi or Ivanova, you know, who says, you know, are you going to stay out of uniform even later? And you're not really sure what they mean by that. And then he's like, I'll wear it again then, but not, but not again. But uh, mm-hmm. now you see what he's talking about. This is... He's wearing it for this ceremony, but not 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 otherwise. Oh, uh, yeah, and again, the uh, title of the episode plays into what's going on. Exactly. Literally in these two instances, but it's not the greatest of episode titles, but it does actually describe what's going on quite well. Yes, it does, yeah. Yeah, I liked this scene. It was nice. I did too. It was, it was sad, like all, you know ceremonies like that are sad <clears throat> first part of me was going okay how many coffins do they have left are they going to have enough for what's coming right was, mm-hmm. why are they and keeping do they, them do they have one for every member of staff is there just like a big room full of coffins somewhere yeah that's depressing wow. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think this was really needed not just for us as viewers seeing the cost of what's happened but for the crew to get behind what the command stuff and our heroes are doing to allow a mourning period to allow time for what's happened to sink in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we at least recognized one, maybe two of the names. Yeah, 
Yeah, we've heard them before. Oh, yeah, one of them was the guy who, when uh, when Blondie was doing the sign-ups for everybody for Nightwatch, and the, the one guy we see come in and like take off his gun and badge, who was Cooper, we hear his name among Aww. the dead later. Yeah. Also, I think um, Rodriguez is the pilot that um, Kepha goes to about information in the shadows. Oh, interesting. I didn't. I didn't make that connection. Mm. And there was the one that just came in for the last episode, the commander of the one ship, right? Um, um, the woman. Oh yeah. yeah, Sandra Hiroshi. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think she was one of the ones. Then, as well, I said, we've had a few yeah, different think... um, ceremonies of this type. I think this is the one we see. There's probably well, one for the crew of the church or one for other oh, people thought, as well. I thought I, I, thought I didn't hear a name. I, actually, um, if I understand correctly, with naval tradition, you only do that for the crew of your own ship. So, Right. Oh, maybe there was a name that was similar then. Yeah. yeah. Um, but again, I love the, um, you know, the ethnic inclusionism uh, that, they, that they show in the names and stuff too. You know, it's it's uh, names from all over the spectrum. There's Arabic names and Latin names, and you know, mm-hmm. just it's it's one of the things I really like about Babylon Five, where they where they really show that you know, in the future, humans are a lot more integrated, which is natural when all of a sudden, you know, your your perception of the other changes from someone across the ocean to someone across the universe. Right, all of a sudden, right. the people Even across the ocean. that as well, you've got yeah, the, size. Yeah, the people you know. across the ocean don't seem to be quite so foreign as you know, like a Pachmara. Mm. Yeah, or Marsies. Yeah, yeah, or those damn Marsies, those dirty Marsies, so ungrateful, always fighting the Earth rule. Mm-hmm. Next, we see Lando have a meeting with Lord Rifa. He called Rifa out there. Apparently, before the comm channels went down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so or maybe he has some kind of special. What do you guys think of Rifa, like, and the actor who plays him? Because I love Rifa. I think Rifa is so good. He's such a good bad guy. Do you have yeah, any really strong, do you have any like strong him, opinions so. about him, one way or the other? Yeah, I really, really don't like him. So that means he's a good bad guy, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I love it. I love. I love his uh, interpretation of the uh, of the Centauri accent too. You know, just uh, cool because because they basically they they let um, they let Peter Jurassic just make up that accent. They're like they're like you know just make up an accent for this race, and you know so he's sort of he's talking about he's so sort of like a a mixture of like Russian and Spanish, like uh, with his accent. And so it was just it's funny hearing someone else do the accent that he invented. Well, I, I've you know always I mean? thought Reaper's accent was from a slightly different place, whereas you know. Lando's kind of this more Russian one. His is kind of maybe more Slavic, more from uh, the, um, you know, uh, Croatia type area. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they ever explicitly say it, and it's not a spoiler. But they don't. I think you don't get it until the novels where they talk about how the accent that Lando and Rifa have are from the northern continent of uh, Centauri Prime, which is where the capital is. And that's kind of like the court accent. Like if you're 
you know, a member of the royal court, you sort of have that kind of accent. It's a more traditional sort of thing, as opposed to somebody like Veer, whose family is from the southern continent, so they don't have that same kind of accent. Um, but that's just a little detail they put in in the books later on, which is I find interesting. So Lando's been reading reports about the battle on the lines, <laughs> lines plural, and yeah. Reef was talking about how they need to expand because they have the resources to do it. Lando calls him out of his alliance with Morden because he recorded the conversation that he had with Morden that we saw in a previous episode and warns Rifa about Morden and being associated with them could be bad for the Centauri. This makes me miss Morden. Yeah. yeah. I want to see him again. Well, well, that's was, the thing, was, isn't it? Um, Morden and Rifa really shine a light on Lando's own character and no matter how dark you think Lando might be in his actions, he's not as bad as these guys. Definitely not. Right. Well, it's hard not to watch this kind of thing and go, what the hell are the shadows up to? You know? <laughs> yes. Like, why do they need to do all this stuff for Rifa? And what are, why would they need to, you know, get the Centauri defenses? put it in multiple places. I mean, if they wanted to conquer the Centauri Republic, couldn't they? <laughs> I don't know. Well, <laughs> and this is the weird thing, considering in the Centauri Narn War, they were making the Centauri stronger. Now it seems with multiple front lines, they're weakening the Centauri. Yeah, they're just like, they're basically just like trolls. They're universe trolls. They're just trolling <laughs> <laughs> Galactic trolls. Yeah, galactic trolls. That's funny. Yeah, so they're being drawn into a dozen small wars, and what if they look towards Centauri Prime? So L- Lando, I almost called him London. Lando <laughs> tells them to break off his relationship with Morden, and but Reef is like, they're the key to my rise to the throne. So mm. sneaky Lando again yeah, <laughs> tells them that he poisoned this drink and the poison's in two parts the first part he's already had but the second part if he gets the second part somehow he'll die and he wants Rifa's cooperation and because he says sooner or later Rifa would have done it to him you see I think unlike Sinclair's ploy in the first season with um Jakar and the beep beep (laughs) I um I think Lando did actually put this poison in uh, Reefer's drink. Yeah, I was wondering. Oh, yeah. I think so. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, poison was the, away in the old Republic, and he's a sentimental guy. Mm-hmm. He wants Reefa to encourage Emperor Cartesia to bolster their defenses and break off his relationship. He wants Reefa to break off his relationship with Morden. And... I don't think we've um, heard about the new emperor before properly anyway. Yeah, only that he was uh, a distant nephew, and uh, they arranged to have him in in the throne because he was, as Rifa said, quote, a young man who sees the world as we do. Uh, and when Rifa says something like that, you know that's not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely the first time he gets named. Yeah, definitely. I'm pretty sure you're right about that. Emperor Cartagia. Is it? Okay. I wasn't sure. That was nice to see um, the 
I guess, hologram recording again. The yeah. Lando yeah. is like still using that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was trying to remember where was Morton in this episode because he was in the credits, but yeah, it was the hologram. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's off station somewhere doing something. He's off being nefarious somewhere. Where's Where's Morton? <laughs> Can't you find him? But I like how I mean it seems like Londo's motivations here are pretty consistent with some of his other motivations, which is just ensuring you know the safety and or the domination of the Centauri Republic. You know, it's like more about the Centauri Republic than it is about himself here, I think. Absolutely. And I think that's kind of always the way it's been with Londo, specifically. I think that's the real difference between him and Rifa is Londo is willing to get, you know, fame and glory and power as like a byproduct of the things he's doing. But I think when it really comes down to it, Londo's real motivations are for the good of Centauri Prime, period. Like, he's really a patriot completely in that sort of way. You know, and, I, and whereas Rifa, it's not that way. Like, as far as Rifa concerned, the people of Centauri Prime could probably burn for all he cares as long as he gets to be emperor. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he doesn't care what happens, but Londo really genuinely does. And although that leads Londo to some dubious decisions... Right, I was going to say that can, can be just as dangerous. <laughs> right, but you can always see what his actual his actual motivation is for Satori Prime and its people. Mm-hmm. Right. So Garibaldi has the uh, command codes and they're ready to go, so they enter all their codes to restart the system. Peekaboo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I like how um, Ivanova gives him a hard time for that. Dylan comes and takes Sheridan away and she tells him about the rebirth ceremony. It was only a small part of what she demonstrated in season one and she's going to invite Lundo too. Hmm. And what she demonstrated in season one was only a small part of the whole ceremony. Jeez. Say. And <laughs> Probably I like think... three days long. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... no, she did say in this episode the rebirth t- ceremony lasts a whole day. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's I just think a it's long really... time. I think it's really interesting in this <laughs> because you really get to see that Delenn is not just a wise person, you know? You can really you really get to see her spiritualism in here because you know, she genuinely like wants Londo to be there and you know wants all these other people to to really do this and you know, she really feels strongly that they need to like put their paths behind them and work forward. And, you know, that is that, that kind of acceptance, if not forgiveness is, you know, that's hard. That's hard to, to bring up, especially in the, you know, with the people involved that she's involved with and the circumstances she's involved with, you know, I don't know if any of you have ever really tried to forgive someone that you, you know, really felt had done you wrong, but you were still trying to forgive them. That is, that is difficult, you know? And, um, I think it just shows her character as a spiritual leader in that moment, and uh, it's a ni- it's a nice thing that you you get to see what Delenn is really all about. Yeah, because we've seen just in the last few episodes that just she's really not very fond of him at the moment. Really not, you know. But mm-hmm. she's she's putting past, she's pushing past that to offer him healing. You know, she's. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what she's doing. She's like, you know. I, I, you know, she's kind of offhandedly saying that, you know, I know you're a better person than this. 
you know, and I'm extending you this olive branch and giving you this hand to, you know, come together with us. And um, I think to a certain degree he sees it when you see his reaction to her offer. You know, like his his first reaction, I think, is a real genuine one where it's almost like self-effacing where he says, you know, with everything going on, I'm surprised you asked me. But then... I love Deled, but she gets a little self-righteous every now and then, you know? <laughs> and she's like, and she's like, well, yes, in, in, in terms of forgiveness and secrets and darkness being <laughs> revealed and all the stuff, you were at the top of my list. He's like, all right, thanks, bitch. Okay, see you later. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because no matter what you... I mean, to offer a slightly different perspective on Deled's motivations... I mean, yes, of course, you know, it's good that she's trying to include him and everything, but it's also through her religious ceremony or whatever ceremony, you know, it's not through his beliefs or his ceremonies, it's through her ceremony. So, I mean, that, yeah, so, I mean, it's also coming from that perspective and I'm just, I'm like trying to put this in the perspective of, let's say, here, you know, somebody, somebody that I don't know very well or whatever wants to forgive me in their own religion, religious ceremony. I don't know how I would take that, you know? Yeah. Please come down to my religious ceremony. I think this would be great for you. <laughs> right, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's what she's saying. And, and then she's kind of, like, shocked that he's like, um, no thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, like, like, it really is. He's specific words of not needing her approval. It really strikes true to that whole difference of I don't need your religion to say what I'm doing is right or wrong. Right. I should be doing that myself. Yep, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, I just wanted to say another thing about the um, Delenn and Sheridan little scene where she's talking about the ceremony. I don't think up until now they've been as relaxed in each other's presence, there's always been a bit of formality to every time they've been talking. Even on the White Star, when they had that touching moment, there was still a small bit of formality there. Um, here, though, they're completely relaxed in each other's presence, and uh, Delane calls Sheridan John offhandedly, you know, in a very casual way. And it's Delenn adjusting to human behaviours and being comfortable in Sheridan's presence. And the lack of uniform. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> She's almost undressed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you guys. I mean, I, if we were going to talk about Delenn and Sheridan right now and it being kind of formal, like me as a viewer, I am not comfortable with them right now on screen together. Like, I can't just relax and watch it. I get a little bit, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I want to see them together. And I don't know if it's just me or what, but it it doesn't seem like they're a natural fit. So, I don't know. I I don't know if I'm ever going to get comfortable with that. Oh, I am. I'm a shipper. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, come on, just kiss her already. Well, that too. I mean, I'm just, yeah, I think they should do that just to get this little will they or won't they thing out of the way but but yeah yeah well just try to imagine too i mean it's like i mean the mambari were responsible for killing like hundreds of thousands of humans you know like 
Sheridan was in the military during that time. He lost tons of friends to them, you know, so to bring himself around, to be able to even think about being in love with one of them is, I mean, that just shows, I mean, I, either it shows the quality of person that Delenn is, that he can look past and over all of that, still find those feelings for her, or something. It says something really significant, you know, because there's, there's, there's a lot more to it than just, you know, we're from, like, different cultures. There's, mm-hmm. you know, there was that whole war where you almost wiped my species out, um, you know, that kind of thing. Is, is, and then on the land side of it, the land side of it is also for a long while last year she didn't know who she was, let alone who he was. So she's only just gotten over that whole thing in the last few months. Yeah, she wasn't ready to let her guard down with anyone else. Well, no, and, and when you're talk when you're talking about like their cultures and you know being at odds but they literally were at odds because he's mm. in the military and she was in the great council and directly responsible for part of what was going on with the war so it's not like they're just a human and a mimbari they actually were directly involved in that you know uh war and so um that makes it even more difficult i'm sure to overcome yeah Definitely. And, you know, on Delenn's side, you know, their great leader was killed by the humans. And, you know, so she's got to overcome that on that side of it, too. So next we see the Nightwatch people talking. Uh, they've been authorized to proceed with whatever they're doing. But Sheridan's not the target this time. It's Delenn. So she who's got... giving them instructions? Mm, somebody. <laughs> oh, I, I've got no idea because all the channels are down. Well, he says that they received a narrow beam transmission. And uh, we've seen them use that a couple times in the series before. Um, like in actually Sheridan's first episode, he uses that to send a message to the other Mimbari cruiser, the one that's not going rogue. Um, because the way the narrow... Just to get a little techno geeky, they what that is, instead of just sending a transmission that other people can interpret... What they do is they open a jump gate and they sh- they shoot the message by laser beam, so that only the person who's meant to pick up that message can interpret it, even if they receive it somehow. Hmm. So, so, so it's actually something separate from the normal communication system. Um, so, that, if someone that has that possibility. Ex- well, the I, possibility. I mean, Bog specifically says we just received a narrow beam transmission from back home, and we've been. Authorized to proceed. Oh, right, yes, yes, yeah, sorry. So he, act- so yeah, he, act- yeah. he actually does say that. And even if even if that wasn't true, they've, they've obviously hacked into the communication systems of Babylon 5 anyway to be able to, to do their untracked calm thing that they have been doing. So They should uh, have um, deemed them the codes and they could have taken over the ship from there. They were thinking too small. True enough. Mm, yeah. But he says that Delenn got the ships there through sheer force of personality, so if they take her out, the support will fade, and the sniper, the bearded guy, he warns them how Minbari are funny about their leaders, and maybe they shouldn't take her out, but Bog said they're going to make it look like it was Sheridan's fault. And then bearded guy starts telling a story about oh. torturing Minbari during the war and starts singing. 
everybody's just watching him sing, which is kind of weird. <laughs> it was so yeah. weird. Very it was creepy. very awkward. It really should have been at a karaoke bar or something. It would have been. <laughs> Apparently, that song was the last song during the prisoner, but JMS says it wasn't an homage. Just that's just a really old song. It's been around for a while. Mm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The uh, yeah the creepy bearded bearded guy is creepy. <laughs> Next, Dylan goes to secretly meet with Marcus in public. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, in her cloak. Yeah. It, it, the last time she wore a cloak, it was a nondescript uh, brown thing. This time, it's completely ornate, and <laughs> everyone now, if people didn't really know what Dylan looked like before, everyone now knows what Dylan looks like because he just made this huge. Entrance last episode. <laughs> yeah, um, I wanted to back up real quick to that scene with the Night Watch guys because I think it's interesting that it shows that these guys aren't these guys aren't just like rabid dogs. You know what I mean? To a degree, they they know enough about Mimbari culture at this point to be concerned about killing another one of their leaders. You know, after yeah. what happened last time, and they know enough about Mimbari culture to. Um, to know, and they actually, someone, at least somebody is, they, is knows what's going on, at least a little bit back on the Membari homeworld, because, mm-hmm. you know, they know enough to know that the Len somehow got these ships here in a weird way through force of personality, and they think that she's the second coming, and, you know, like, so there's somebody on Minbar, Minbar reporting back to these guys as well. Maybe, or it's just uh, someone's noting the fact that she was the one to talk with the Earthship, she she's the one organizing all the um, Membari here, and the you know that's the way they're seeing it. it. Just happens to be true. Yeah, and you know at the very least you can see that they are being very clever about it and actually thinking about these things and not just like you know being a bunch of random killers. Right. Yeah, I was kind of wondering how they knew some of that stuff, but uh, maybe just word spread around about how yeah how they got there. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of shady people around. I think he said it was a syndicate. Um, he doesn't bother them. They don't bother him. And she reminds him about the rebirth ceremony. He keeps making excuses about how he didn't do it and how he doesn't want to do it. Mm. And he leaves. Yeah. Oh, look, my friend. <laughs> yeah. And next, Garibaldi resets the computer system. It restarts in 10 seconds, which is a really quick restart. I guess their Google isn't good, but their computer <laughs> <Yeah. quick. laughs> I knew this and wasn't going to go well. When it comes back on, the has an attitude, and the voice you hear is the voice of Harlan Ellison. Oh, really? I know the voice of the computer. The Garibaldi thinks it's the result of an AI they tried when the station went operational, but it had <laughs> How would problems. they try that one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, they must have gone to whatever that company in Hitchhikers is, and right? real people personality. <laughs> Serious Cybernetics Corporation, that's it. Real so can I back up for one second? When Marcus says he's afraid of spiders, is he talking about spider ships or actual spiders? Uh, yeah, I thought so too. <laughs> that is kind of interesting. If it it's normal like... spiders and then he finds out he's facing giant spiders, <laughs> yeah. that must have been quite a traumatic experience the first time giant... he went through <laughs> that. Giant, giant space spiders. <laughs> that just makes his fear worse. <laughs> 
We've already talked about the scene with Londo not wanting to go to the rebirth ceremony, but they do say that you have to tell someone a secret you never told before and you have to give away something of great value. She goes to Jakar. He says they're busy. They need to prove their worth to uh, st- uh, the station. Uh, Jakar but has try- one of the quotes of the episode. Yeah, he'll try to make it by sometime. So. Oh, yes, uh, There really are but, so many good quotes, so you can skim past this one. Marcus like, oh, that was a good um, idea. But she says she's still going to have the ceremony and find out that the Minbari captain has arrived and she wants Marcus to go with her so they can talk. Lene is disappointed. Yeah. (laughs) Marcus uh, explains why he doesn't want to take part in the ceremony. He doesn't have anything left to give up and tells her about his brother dying because of stupidity. I think we covered that in the premiere, maybe. About his brother. Well, first episode of the season, yeah. Um, yeah. He talked about how his brother died. <laughs> uh, he goes into a little bit more detail here. Mm, Lynn says that he must give up that chip he has on his shoulder and forgive himself for surviving. <laughs> I was thinking that, you know, both him and Ivanova are kind of in the same boat. They both have lost everything. So yeah. mm-hmm. they should get together. <laughs> <laughs> So Mark is going to go and tell security about bringing the guy through. Do you see the wet floor sign on the background? No. I thought that was odd. <laughs> <laughs> I think in the future they have um, different looking signs. But, different ways know. to clean. Yeah. Lasers. So the Captain Lenan arrives, and Lenan is played by Kim Strauss, our favorite Drazi Narn guy. Oh, yeah? Yeah. But he gets shot by the Night Watch guys, and... They take Dylan. Yeah, you actually get to see what Kim Strauss more or less looks like. Hmm. Oh wait, so well, he we've what... seen it before, but yeah, he got killed. Yeah. Okay. No, no, no. The guy, the guy who doesn't get killed is Kim Strauss. Oh, I thought Lenon. Lenon, the fleet captain, is that's Kim Strauss. Okay, I thought. Wait, when? Okay, I was getting confused about killed, who. Because he kills the aides, but okay, kills. Uh, the okay, so the main yeah, guy that was with tied up with her. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's Kim Strauss. Yeah, and you'll notice his outfit was slightly different from the other captains. Oh. That's because he's um, worker cast. Okay. What was the difference? Do you know? Uh, well, there's three Mambari um, cast. Um, oh, you no, don't so know much the about the worker cast. Um, <laughs> well, the um, religious cast robes are actually flowy robe things. The, this one... Um, the captain, anyway, had this shoulder thing on. I think that's, you know, to do with his well, rank. But he's got yeah, this... Um, yeah, he's got a suit and a cape instead of... Uh, yeah. Instead of, like... He's got, like, a uniform with a cape rather than, like, mm. the white flowy robe. Like a marching robes. band type of thing. Yeah, mm. exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then you've got the armor of the warrior cast. So it's three different ways of dressing to tell each cast apart easily. Um, computers giving Garibaldi some troubles, but Ivanova pops up on the screen and tells him about Dulin. And then and disappears. We... It, it, it's, <laughs> it's not a conversation. It's right. <laughs> Let's make sure everyone knows um, Garibaldi knows what's going on and get to the next scene because that's all she does. Hey, I heard <laughs> Dulin's been kidnapped. And then Garibaldi gets a look on his face and then moves. <laughs> yeah, it's just okay. And? <laughs> you have any more information about that? 
Um, uh, maybe it's uh, the um, AI and basically said, no, I cut her off there for dramatic purposes. You don't need to see the rest of it, do you? No. So down, you see Delin and uh, Lenan is being held captive and words out. The yeah, box says it words out. And next, Marcus is blaming himself, but Sheridan's saying it's not his fault. Marcus, like, it's happening again. He didn't listen, and he turned his back for two seconds. Then Clarence pops up on the screen. Mm-hmm. Says someone's calling about Dylan. Sheridan wants to call Tracy. It's Boggs. Uh, even, uh, apparently, Garibaldi's been looking for him. So I guess, yeah, they know Nightwatch people, but they can't find them, or, I guess. And... Yeah, he shows him Delenn. He said that they scrambled the Babcom lines. He wants B5 back in Earth Control and wants the Minbari ships to leave or he'll kill the hostages. He's got spies and security so he'll know if they try something. And he shoots one of the injured Minbari to show that they're serious. Marcus runs off and Sheridan says to let him go because he has sources that don't involve security and they want the call analyzed. So yeah. Next, we see Marcus interrupting a card game amongst those people he's not supposed to be bothering. Mm-hmm. They don't want to talk to him, so yeah, does, they all get up for a fight. I think they had to cast uh, this guy just for his moustache because <laughs> it, it, it's epic. It, it's just like something from the uh, 19th century, really. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, what if, oh, yeah, it's like a Deadwood moustache. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um... Delin speaking to Captain in her in their native language. He's saying the ropes were loosened, but creepy bearded dude understands them because he picked up CBG. some of their language during the war. CBG. Yeah. Okay. CBG. CBG. CBD. And she feels sorry for him. Uh, she talks about how the Minbari act together, but this. Ugh, Delin, come on, shut love. your mouth. <laughs> Why she did that? <laughs> you have to be so superior. I, I pity you. Uh, yeah, she pities him, and he's about to shoot her when Lenon intervenes, and he gets shot, but he's not dead yet, and Boggs warns him not to kill them yet. Did he already have to warn Boggs not to kill people? <laughs> no, just don't give Boggs a gun, okay? I mean, not Boggs warned not or, to Or, yeah, Boggs, BBG. Yeah. yeah. Give him a gun. Yeah. In fact, just keep all weapons away from him until your plan's over. Done. Mm-hmm. So we go back to Mark since he's beat up everybody. <laughs> so nobody <laughs> left away. Ah, uh, yeah. This is the repercussions of his line, and it, it, it it's brilliant. <laughs> he kept his promise. And Lanier comes along, and yeah, he wants to discuss the rebirth ceremony. Lanier's a badass too. <laughs> <laughs> but she, Lanier's way. This was the last thing uh, Delin asked him to do. So he's going to see that it's done and. Marcus touches him, and Lanier gets mad. Oh. Wow, he gets really... <laughs> yeah. But he says he wants to tear the station apart looking for it, and he tells Marcus his rebirth ceremony secret that he loves to Lynn. But it's not romantic love, it's purer. Of course love it is, because he's been barry, and he thinks everything is just, oh, so amazing. It's the That's purest right. form of love. But yeah, yeah, Lanier's really strong. We saw him. Yeah, pretty angry. Too. I want to see him fly through the air and do kicks and stuff again. <laughs> <laughs> and he says that he's not the one destined 
to be with her. Is that how I put yeah, it? How did he say it? She's she's fated for another. Yeah. Yeah. He's vowed to stay at her side for as long as he's alive. And then. Yeah, Marcus Mar- is right though. That's a dangerous promise. Yeah. Marcus gets one of the dudes. He beat it up and gets the name, presumably. But still, I mean, this is a big reveal coming from Lanier. You know, that he loves, her. loves the land. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that made me think of Harry Potter for some reason. Like, I don't know if I want to spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> Harry likes, made me think of like how Snape did everything. Oh. Of Lily Potter. So mm-hmm. Lanier is Snape in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This made me, makes me want to think about everything we've seen Lanier do. Way less mm-hmm. crouchy. <laughs> yeah. uh, so Ivanova analyzed the t- a video and got a background sound. They know it's somewhere in Grace Sector, but Marcus has a more exact location, somewhere level 14. And they realized that 14A has been sealed off under Garibaldi's orders, which he didn't do. So he's going to get a little team together, together and Sheridan has an idea they're going to actually surrender. So the baddies get a message from their spy that the Minbari have left. They gave Sheridan his walking orders there. So they're going to send a message back home, a narrow beam message to send in the Marines. And then the cooler reactor has blown up. And well, I don't think it has. I think they've set it up to make it look like it's going. Yeah. Uh, and then, so they can drive all the um, Nightwatch folk into a trap. There are people running around <laughs> again. <laughs> and back. <laughs> Bad guys are moving with the prisoners, and security ambushes them. Even Sheridan and Ivanova are there. The command structure B five is there in this <laughs> gunfight. What's up, Clarence? I guess you'll. <laughs> oh yeah, we'd love to see Clarence in one of those. <laughs> I actually, do want to see Clarence in a gunfight. Wonder if it ever happens. No, no. Marcus needs to give um, Clarence um, fighting lessons. Oh, yes, I'd watch that montage. Yeah. And the bearded guy throws a knife at Sheridan, and Devin, Delenn takes the blow. But it's like Delenn ran halfway across the room to get in the way. Like, it took forever. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, no. And then she runs for, like, half a mile. <laughs> but after Delenn gets hit, Sheridan runs after the guy and beats the crap out of him. I remember the first time I saw that scene, I was like, no. Delenn, no. You know, just <laughs> seeing a knife coming out of Delenn's back, I was just horrified. I was like, I was like, that guy did not just stab Delenn. And I just knew Sheridan was going to take him down hard for that. <laughs> you know? So you reacted like Sheridan did, basically. I did. I was ready to I was ready to get that guy. I was ready to <laughs> not just stab my Delenn. It's a good job that Nair wasn't there. I was going to say... He would have poked out. I was seriously... He was seriously lucky Lanier was not in that room because I don't think Sheridan could have beaten Lanier to him. (laughs) And Lanier Lanier just would have taken that guy apart. He's like, you're not even my species. I'm just taking you... I'm taking you apart into little pieces now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we did have the incredible Narn picture on our uh, Facebook group, so... Yeah. Maybe now we have uh, Lanier... (laughs) And I, and I I love I do love that uh, scene. So let me the Mar- red hope. Yeah, <laughs> I do love that scene between him and Marcus. 
down in the bar when, uh, yeah, when Marcus spins to grab Lanier because he thinks it's another guy. Lanier's like, I would advise against it. Yeah. He brings up the pinky foo for a second. He's like, <laughs> he's, he's, he's like, beware. Mm-hmm. So Lanier says the knife missed her vital organs and got stuck in her ribs. Ouch. But since the rebirth ceremony has to be conducted with a certain amount of time and it's almost too late and the lens too hurt right now, they're not going to be able to do it. And Garibaldi's still working on the computer and the personality, the AI will be going by midnight. Do you think it really <laughs> will be? <laughs> or is it going to yeah, stick around for a while to just like make jokes at Garibaldi's expense? <laughs> See, Garibaldi's annoyed by it and shoots it. I guess he shoots something, maybe. The yeah, like speaker, speaker, maybe. maybe. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe it will stick around and you'll end up having a buddy cop spin off of Garibaldi and the AI. Hit <laughs> talking like to Knight him Rider. in his quarters. Yeah. Harlan yeah. Ellison's 80 now. I want to know whatever happened to Garibaldi's motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. Nair probably has it. Or yeah. Lanier crashed it. <laughs> Dylan is telling Lanier he needs to rest, and Sheridan comes. He says, since you can't come to the rebirth ceremony, we'll bring the rebirth ceremony to you. So he gives his uniform and tells her that when she was hurt, he was ready to kill the guy with his bare hands, and he's never told her how much she means to him. He can. And I'm still not going to. I'm just going to say... Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I can't imagine my life without you is pretty... It's deep, but it's still not yeah. actually saying the words. Yeah. So when Sheridan leaves, Garibaldi comes in, he gives his uniform and says he's afraid all the time of what he might do if he lets go. Which is quite vague, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was less than impressed by yeah. um, his and Ivanova's confessions, actually. I figure he was talking about alcohol, but maybe he could just mean his anger or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ivanova brings her uniform in and says she thinks she loves Talia. I was like, okay, really? <laughs> We're bringing this up again? Franklin gives his uniform and says he thinks he might have a problem. I don't want to But I'm not going to tell you what that problem is. And that was so vague. That was like, really? (laughs) Yeah, she looked like she was concerned, but I don't know. She was like, what are you talking about? I just want his Sims thing to just go away quietly. I don't want to deal with it. It's not going to. And when they're leaving, Lanier stops them. Apparently, she knew what they were going to do somehow, and she had gifts made for them, and the gifts were waiting in their quarters. Tight and I want to know, know how she had access to their quarters. Well, that's the part Not that just I'm quarters, about their measurements. Oh, yeah. yeah did she... <laughs> well, the measurements are probably in their file. No, no, no. <laughs> but how did she get in their rooms? Hey, she's great but... counsel. She has ways. <laughs> don't the doors just open automatically when you go to somebody's room? Yeah, they probably don't lock their rooms. In CNC, we see the four arrive in their brand spanking new uniforms. They've been reborn. What everyone calls their army of light uniforms. And I like them. Yeah. I like them. But the lens, come on. It's like, here's what you're going to be wearing from now on. I mean, come <laughs> So bossy. 
This is uh, this is what I want my <laughs> what my guy to wear. <laughs> Just checking out his clothes. <laughs> so Sheridan says they're ready to go. And that's the end of episode. Bill Blair was an alien in this episode again. And again, I really like the end of this because, like I said at the beginning, his you know his line "Tell the ships Babylon Five is ready for business," you know, and that's just what uh, Sinclair says at the end of the pilot. You know, so it's kind of like we have been reborn. This is Babylon Five reborn halfway through the whole show, and it's taken a major turn. Um, you know, when it comes to the plot line and and you know, sort of the setup of the whole series and like what it's kind of about, and. Um, that's why I like this episode so much because so much happens in the previous three episodes to change the nature of the show itself. That like a moment to sort of take all that in and, and you know it's it's like a coda for the for that. Mm, for that it definitely period. is a coda, and you yeah. need that moment to process. Totally, absolutely, yeah. And you know the show is now very is you know you can only assume it's going to go in some very different places now that they're you know, not an extension of the Earth government. They are their own government now, you know, so so who knows what's going to happen. The other great thing that I've just remembered or realized again, maybe, that they're wearing black, but they're the good guys. They're the army of light. And I think... Yeah, JMS I, talked about that, how it was kind of... Uh, no, go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say that I think that's... Um, a bit of a holdover from Mimbari culture, considering their warrior cast all wears black. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. And so these are the uniforms for a new army, the Army of Light. So you know, from from a from a Mimbari perspective, it's only proper that they should be wearing black. Plus, they uh, look better. Plus, yeah, they, uh, they definitely do. They, they are slick looking uniforms, to be sure. Yeah. I had a quote about that. Yeah, about the uniforms. I wanted it to have a cross look, certain Minbari elements and textures, lines that are reminiscent of the Rangers, but also Earth Force. Triangles. Yep. Yep. There's a certain perverseness in making those on the side of light wear black. It reverses our expectations. Nobody and looks good in all white. Right. Yeah. Think about Everybody Morton, looks good right? in black. I mean, yeah. Think about Morton. Morton's a very friendly, charismatic, smiley kind of guy. Mm. You know? He's always got a pressed white shirt underneath his blazers. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, also, you said triangle. There's more than one triangle in that outfit. Yeah, there's a there's lots. He's made. Uh, he's got lots of little triangles all over the place. He also said that the cast like their new uniforms because they're lighter and easier to move in and cooler under the lights. And the cast like the styling has kind of a rogue element to it. Mm, much better fit as well. Yes, and it's interesting too because, um, you know, again, you can't help but occasionally compare this to. Um, Star Trek, that being the only other televised sci-fi of this yeah, genre thinking about that, at the yeah. time. And, you know, there was always controversies and discussions about, you know, when they would change the Starfleet uniforms and yada yada. And they, they pretty much just did it sort of like randomly just because they basically they got a bigger budget. So they were able to make nicer uniforms on Star Trek and uh, halfway through the show. And, uh, 
there was always discussion about that. And so, you know, yeah, um, Straczynski is quoted as saying he wanted to do something similar, but he wanted to have an in-universe reason for why they were changing the uniform. Yeah. You know, not, no, just a, not, not just a bigger budget. <laughs> and I always find the funny thing on Star Trek is they went through all these uniform changes in such a short period in-universe, and then they don't change again for hundreds of years, apparently. Right, right, exactly. Just... Yeah, 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 it makes far more sense here. Yeah, there was some stuff, of, I guess they were... Um... I guess some of the fans were asking about the slow build-up with Dylan and Sheridan. You know, say, you know, it's just... It's kind of... Um... Like real relationships are well, it's got to build up. What is? What is well, you know, you got a process of getting to know somebody, and there's a ritual for that. Like, like, <laughs> like, like you said. Now, now I'm thinking of the ritual version of Grinder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said the romance angles aren't late additions. You can't just jump into right off and. And it said you kind of get a hint of it at the beginning of year two, and it had to grow gradually. Unless you're Ivanova and Talia, then it all yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, you know, I think it's a lot of the slowness of it has to do with not not only the relationship, but who they are and what they are. You know, being being like you said on opposite sides of the war real opposite sides being a military commander and then, you know, one of the leaders of the society that's declared the war, you know, and um, there's all that baggage to, to, to push through, and then also... And then, yeah, you know, and a Sheridan as well. Well, right, you know, and he's got unresolved, unresolved feelings about his ex-wife that he never got to, that he never got to express, and um, you know, and also the fact that they are totally different, not only species but really different cultures you know like you know humans humans hook up and then go okay well maybe we should <laughs> maybe we should try to make something out of that like you can't imagine Mimbari doing that you know what I mean it's not like you know plus she's mom, still married to Sinclair you well, well know, right so. you know mm-hmm. there's there's that this is uh she's still married to Sinclair and uh, but you know there's probably a ritual for that too you know <laughs> And now this is the ritual of the menage a trois. <laughs> 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 yeah. You're involved in that somehow. No, that's Jared and Sinclair, the twins. With oh, yeah. Yeah. But was that but the you know, diamond of love, then? <laughs> right. Well, you know, Lanier probably had to help prepare for that somehow. Right, right. <laughs> Poor Lanier. <laughs> um, was that the question? You want to watch the spandex suits? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, well, uh, was that the question that people were asking at the time? Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's what it seemed like. Okay. They're also talking about the reaction of female fans to Marcus. Oh? JMS said that most of the most of the women who work in editing... Oh, wait, was, oh I guess... So, I'm not sure what this means. But he was saying that um, some of the people that work in the editing department, one of them pulled him aside early in the season after Marcus's stuff started coming in and, you know, grabbed his arm very firmly and said, listen very carefully. I want to see a lot more of Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean content wise, get him shirtless. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and apparently his beard is different now because he had to shave before the first episode to do an audition. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and the Nightwatch guys look a lot more sinister now. Kind of metaphorical. Now we see their true face, scarred, dark, empty eyes, no longer pretending to hide. The, the way I've always thought of it is, you know, the hardcore guys managed to find their way underground. Everyone else thought, oh, well, ship me back to Earth. I was only in it for the pay anyway. Right. Totally. All right, do we have any quotes? Oh, God, so many quotes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we Where do. do we... This is like, like I said, this is one of the most quotable episodes in the whole show. My quotes have been kind of taken, um, or well, one of my quotes. The crisis for now is over till the ships are open for business. Yeah. It's created. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the restart. I've got to get the, uh, Jakar quote before anyone takes it. I've been born once and quite sufficiently. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh no, it's quite sufficiently, I think. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yes, I think. Yeah. Um of course, uh I'll start off with one of the good Marcus quotes. Uh when Lanier comes in he says and he says, I see they trained you well back home. And he says, Yeah, my teachers told me that I was carrying a lot of uh, carrying around a lot of repressed anger. And I'm not repressed anymore. <laughs> that was a good one. <sighs> Then, oh, yeah. you know, Marcus again. I've always said you can get more with a um, good word and a two-by-four than you can with a good word. Right. <laughs> um, I have a computer Garibaldi quote. Um, the computer says, you know, you look very stressed. This is not good. Hey, how about something to eat? Maybe a nice piece of brisket. Go suck an orange. <laughs> Gar- <laughs> Garibaldi. <laughs> Would somebody please fix this thing before I go out of my mind? <laughs> I have one from Lanier. <clears throat> Do not touch me in that fashion. We may sometimes look like you, but we are not you. Never forget that. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Getting, a little, getting, getting Lanier pissed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I have one more. Uh, this is Delenn and Marcus. Delenn says, the rebirth ceremony was part of your training on Midbar. Marcus, I missed it. I overslept. Dylan, it lasts all day. Marcus, oh yes, I was ill. <laughs> I have another one where one of the <clears throat> guys, Marcus, well, this is before we beat him up. We don't talk to security. Why should we talk to you? Because if you don't, then in five minutes, I'll be the only person at this table still standing. Five minutes after that, I'll be the only person in this room still standing. Yeah. And then cut to a little later. Oh, bugger. Now I've got to wait for someone to wake up. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, Yeah, that's another really good one. So let's do our characters of the week. Who's our human of the week? Marcus. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I voted for Marcus. Yeah, Marcus. Gotta be Marcus in this one. And who's our alien of the week? Oh, man. Uh, I want to say either Londo or Rifa. I've kind of forgotten about really yeah, I was thinking sure. about there. We've got a good selection. Although... I if it's Lanier or Londo, either one would work for me. Yeah, although, you know, Delenn is pretty great, too, taking that dagger. And the way she faces down <laughs> that guy, 
when she faces down that guy, he's like, you know, you're not going to get, he's like, you're probably not going to get out of here. Do you have any thoughts about that? And that's, this is a quote I wanted to bring up too. She's like, yeah, I pity you, you know, and, and just, he, he points that gun right at her and she stares right at him and says, I have faced far worse than you, mm-hmm. you know, little man with a gun in front of Delenn of the great council of Minbar. Yeah. Far worse than you. I'm going to vote um, Lanier, I think. Yeah. Okay. I'm fine with Lanier. I'll take Lanier. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that sounds good to me. I love Lanier anyway. He's such a good one. Such a good mm-hmm. guy. So let's write this episode. You want to start us off, Elias? Yeah, I really, really like this episode. I, I really like it as a conclusion for the three episodes before it. And I really like it because we get a lot of really good character moments. Um, and lots of, lots of really good quotes. And they just pack, they pack so much into this one episode, the stuff with Londo and, um, and Rifa and the, you know, we really get to know Marcus really well. I think this is the episode where we really, at least I really start to really like Marcus as a character from this episode on. Like, he was cool. You know, he was Aragorn up to this point, Space Aragorn, you know, but, um, but now he's really coming to his own as a character, and I really, really like him. We get to see a side of Lanier that we have never seen before. Um, you know, you always knew that he was really dedicated to Delenn, but now you, now every time he says that, you know, I'm going to stay by her side, there's a whole different subtext to that now when we hear him talk like that. So, um, yeah, and the relationship in, between Delenn and Sheridan are now... I think it's official now. I think in this in this particular, they're not dancing around it anymore. They're going, okay, yes, I have really serious feelings for you, and that's maybe something that we should actually do something about rather than just dance around it and you know cook each other flour. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. All that being said, I'm going to give this episode a solid nine, and it's going to be, uh, let's see. Nine, um, uh, huh, nine daggers to the ribs. <laughs> How about you, Heidi? Um, yeah, I liked this one. It was, uh, it was really good. It, um, had lots of great lines, uh, had a lot of humor. Um, it wasn't quite as good as the last episodes, so, um, I know that's not really fair to judge it off of those, but, um, since we've just had some really great episodes, I'm gonna give it an eight and a half vague confessions out of ten. Mm-hmm. What do you say, Elizabeth? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, I don't know. I feel kind of bad because I didn't really like it as much as I think everybody else did, but, um, I didn't think it was like, I thought it was a good episode. You know, it had really good moments. It had really good lines. had some good character stuff. Um, but I it didn't really... I don't know what it was. It didn't really, like... I wasn't... It wasn't quite working for me. I I don't know. I think, I mean, just disregarding the Night Watch, who were pretty terrible, and the acting was kind of bugging me, but disregarding that... I think Delenn was a little bit getting on my nerves. Like um, her holier than thouness was uh, was a little bit high there for me. I, I don't know. I just don't like 
holier than thou. So that that's just like a thing for me. Um, and I, I was I thought it was a missed opportunity with the confessions. You know, we only got really one good one that was Lanier's. Um, the other ones were just things we had already really known or we don't really care about. I mean, or that, you know, so, um, but it, it, it was pretty good actually, if you look at it objectively and not through the lens of things I don't like. Um, so I'm going to give it seven and a quarter educational songs about the human anatomy. Okay. What about you? Ian? Yeah. Well, as we've been saying, it's a chance to really take a breather this episode. It's Coda. There's some really great lines. It's a nice ending to the story arc we've been on so far, in a way. It's not the complete ending. There's so much more to explore. But emotionally, it's a great breather to have. And that's the great stuff in its favour. It's a bit patchy, though, here and there. Some of the tones in this episode don't quite match up, and that's really when it pulls down a little bit. But it's still enjoyable, still quite good, I think. So I'm going to go 8 out of 10 Army of Light uniforms. Uh, Yeah, I agree. It was a good episode, but uh, it's definitely a step down from the previous three. I... Didn't really like the whole kidnapping storyline and the uh, actors involved, but there were some good moments, like with Lanier and with Jakar, and and it was pretty good. So I'll give it 8 out of 10. We already knew you loved Talia. (laughs) So that's a total of 8.05. Not bad. This season's still doing much better than seasons 1 and 2. You know where they don't have any Nightwatch people? Feed Backland. Uh. <laughs> oh, yes. Unless there are, we don't know. No, I'm pretty sure. Right. <laughs> I think Feed Backland is an independent state. That's right. No affiliation to her. Excuse me. Well. <laughs> First, we have an email from Yen. So do we have I'll two take- emails from Yen? No, second one is from Jan. Oh, okay. Yan <laughs> uh, says, Hello, down belowers. Here's some feedback for Babylon 5, Season 3, Episode 11, Ceremonies of Light and Dark. This will be a bit shorter than usual due to some necessary activities here. This is a packed episode. Oh, yes, yet another Minbari ceremony, or one that we have seen a bit of before. Lord Aretha is back, arrogant as ever, and he is playing a Game of Thrones, is he not? Ooh, he is. Good call. Question is, will he win or will he die? Mm. Wonder. All men must die, but then he's not really a man. (laughs) (laughs) All men must serve. I just love the scene where the computer is rebooted. Did you know that the voice of the computer belongs to the the author Harlan Ellison, who is also conceptual consultant for B5? He sounds interesting. <laughs> I'll say that. I could not help laugh at Ivanova's reaction to Garibaldi's password. Mm-hmm. It's good to see Ivanova smile. But that was me. That was Will saying that last wow. part. <laughs> there is a madman in Night's Watch. He is really creepy, isn't he? Mm-hmm. And no one wants to do the ceremony, much to Delin's disappointment. And Delin saves Sheridan yet another time. 
and Garibaldi has had enough of the artificial intelligence. <laughs> As Delenn could not go to the ceremony, they all brought the ceremony to her. And now for the favorites. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought like Will was playing some kind of theme music. <laughs> nice to have. I keep saying I'm going to bring music back to the show. Uh, Yan's favorite human is I have to go with Sheridan this time. Finally, he tells Delin what he feels. Alien Delin quotes um, Sheridan: "As long as we're on our own, I can't justify wearing an Earth Force uniform." Okay, I'm sorry. I guess I gotta take this. Hold on one second, guys. Okay. I'll be back in just a second. Uh, keep going. Uh, my hypocrisy only goes so far. Delin, prophecy is a poor guide to the future. You only understand it when the events are already upon you, and not all of the prophecies are good ones. There is fire and darkness ahead of us. Sheridan, from the stars we came to the stars we return, from now until the end of time. We therefore commit these bodies to the deep. Oh, oh yeah, this is one on that line. That line just echoes what Delenn said to him in season two about us all being star stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, Lando, I meant to get this quote, but I forgot. Only an idiot will fight a war on two fronts. Only the heir to the kingdom of idiots will fight a war on 12 fronts. Yeah, great quote. We shouldn't have forgotten that one. And the one about... Marcus say where he'll be the only one standing in the room and then have to wait for somebody to wake up. And also the one about carrying repressed anger and the one with the two by four. And Sheridan, what's the matter? Haven't you ever seen someone who's been reborn before? Episode rating. This one solidly continues the story and deals with consequences. So I give it nine, nine out of 10 nights watch leftovers. That's all from us. Be careful for you have now reached the point of no return. Thanks, Thanks, Jan. Jan. Thanks, Jan. And I'm back. Next email is from Jan. It's our first email from her. Cool. She's really big in the Babylon 5 community. And we want to take Jan's email. Uh, okay. I'd enjoy some, excuse me. I'd enjoy some discussion of Lanier's feelings for Delenn in this episode. Um, did we talk? We talked a little bit about it. Not too much. Um, as part of the oh, go ahead. Were you going to say something? Oh, I was just going to say. I just think it's um, it's it definitely warrants some discussion because there's just something about the way he describes it as like a like a pure, perfect love that is not not marred by romantic feelings, and mm. you know it makes it, it, <laughs> ma- it, ma- it makes you wonder how real that is. Yeah, the, at the same time, the way he says, I know she is fated for another, He, even when he says that, he doesn't sound happy about it. it it's, he says it's a pure form of love, and yet he's not consistent about that in the way he's actually talking about it. He's definitely confused. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, continuing. <clears throat> As part of the rebirth ceremony, he confessed to Marcus that he loved Lynn, but that it was a pure love since he knew she was destined for somebody else. My feeling is that was pure delusion on his part. 
Others I've discussed it with say that he really did have a pure and platonic love for her. I've got lots, okay, all of your podcasts to catch up on, so I hope that this is the kind of feedback you're looking for. Best regards, Jan. Thanks, Jan. And yeah, yeah, I hope you enjoy the rest of our shows. It's, uh, I'm surprised how much we've done already. Uh, <laughs> when you get back yeah. to this point, I hope you're going to continue. Next, we have an email from Victor. And I can take Victor's. In this episode, we have a rare visit from slimy Lord Reefer to the station. It seems he's especially put upon about being dragged away from the homeworld, but that's nothing compared to how he feels when Lando informs him that he has just been poisoned. This is another in a long line of dastardly deeds Lando has done. (coughs) But considering this is Reefer, I'm... We'll give him a pass. Elsewhere, a cell of Nightwatch loyalists decides not to assassinate Sheridan, which is actually lucky for them. If they had killed Sheridan, that would have put Ivanova in charge, and there's no telling what she would do. She might gather a fleet and invade Earth. (laughs) And, of course, have um, Clarence in number two position. Mm. Yeah, I don't think she, I don't think if that had happened, I really don't think Ivanova would have been as like nice as Sheridan was being and letting them all leave. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think that line would have been at an airlock rather than at, at, <laughs> oh, at yeah. the door at the at the boarding station. Dazen then tries to invite people to a rebirth ceremony, <laughs> ceremony, but it's a tough sell because now everyone knows. He, how incredibly tedious and boring Marumbari's ceremonies are. We also learn that Lanier loves Delenn, sort of. And Marcus, well, for all of his sophistication, Marcus is one of those people who thinks violence is like duct tape. If it's not working, you're just not using enough of it. Hmm. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, most of the episode is taken up with a kidnap drama in which Delenn is wounded and finally released. In the end, the command staff get new uniforms, but Delenn doesn't even get a T-shirt that says, I survived a Membari rebirth ceremony. So, Seven Dreams was a tough act to follow, so this one gets 7.5 smart Alec AIs out of 10. Regards, Victor. Thanks, Victor. Thanks, Victor. Cheers, Victor. Next, we have a comment from Board 99. Board says, There's only one beer fan in all of Krakow. It makes me sad. <laughs> oh, it's the only one we're hearing from. <laughs> On the slow pace of the Dilidy, Dilidin, how do you say that? <laughs> but didn't we come up with a name? What was it? Um, Sharon or something like it was that? Sher- it was Sherilyn. No, Sherilyn. no, no, no. Sherilyn. It was like. Shalen. Oh. I think it was Shalen. That's easier to say, I think. <laughs> Shalen is easier to say than Dandelion, almost. Um, well, what to say here? <laughs> uh, Drashala. Or is it Drabawa? Sonka. <laughs> yeah. Voice says, I think this may partly result from the fact that Sheridan is occupying a role originally meant for Seclair. The existence of Catherine Sakai would have meant that any relationship between Delune and Sinclair could not have developed until later on in the series and was probably always assigned to season three. 
But what about ceremonies of light and dark? For me, this is the conclusion of my favorite sequence of episodes. Everything that's happened from messages from Earth on culminates in the moment when our four human heroes come out in their new uniforms. But enough gushing. Although I like ceremonies of light and dark a lot, it still has flaws. To pick one, as effective as the, as the moment when Sheridan and company come out in their new uniforms is, it follows from something I don't like. Severed Dreams places a lot of emphasis on the symbolism of the uniform as something that's a central part of Sheridan's specific story. When he gives his old uniform up, it marks a moment of personal transformation. It would certainly be in character for Ivanova to feel the same way, although it's not been stated. But at least for Garibaldi and Franklin, I like to have seen them each give up something of great value that JMS had as carefully made as individual to them as the secrets that he has each character confess. They could still assume the new uniforms as a gesture of solidarity with Sheridan. Like, uh, like Franklin gives up Tim. <laughs> no, I don't think he's given that up. <laughs> Garibaldi could give up his second favorite thing in the universe. Uh, not Daffy Duck. <laughs> no, not that. <laughs> like left. Vord says, but season three is still damn good, all told. Thank you, Vord. Vord. Uh, thanks. All right. The next Are we seeing the Vord on the new... Doctor Who? No. I don't think so. Uh, Our next email is from Lori. All right. Um, Hello, ambassadors, commanders, and visitor. Our commentary. We get the return of a couple of characters we have not seen in a few episodes, Marcus and Rifa. Marcus obviously did not want to participate in Delenn's rebirth ceremony, and neither did Londo or Jakar. I felt bad for her, like she was planning a party and no one wanted to attend. Question for everyone. Would you want to attend the ceremony? What would you give... What? No. What Come would you on. Give up? No, she's asking, what would you give up? What Would you have something to tell? <laughs> well, I think no. we all would have something to tell, but... No. <laughs> yeah, those two questions. No, would I attend the ceremony just to see what it's like? It's a day no. long, though. I think I'd be sick, like Marcus. Hmm. You know, I, if you listen to the podcast, I want to pretty much tell everything. <laughs> that <there is> <laughs> um, no. At the funeral, it was interesting to note there were no religious overtones, but it was very moving with the Bonomo <sighs> reading out the names, though there were not that many. In the meeting between Rifa and Londo, we hear a lot about how Centauri has become very stretched in its activities and have many front lines. They have been manipulated quite a bit by the shadows into that situation. I like that Londo apparently records all important meetings. He is much savvier than he sometimes appears. Carl commented that Rifa clearly does not know that he is a pawn, like Cersei, but much less attractive. (laughs) (laughs) What do the ambassadors think about Londo's reasoning for giving the poison in two parts? Carl believes it could be a bluff, but it is a better psychological game this way. It disturbs Rifa more than a threat of poison in the future. That's a good point. It is, yeah. Like he's like basically what he's saying is like I've already started it, you know. Mm. It's not like a big threat. Like I've already put him put the motions in place. Yeah, you are already poisoned. It's just a matter of activating it. Although I would believe Reefer would have gone through tests to make sure, yes, I am poisoned, and there's nothing I can do about it. (laughs) Then he'd be concerned. Mm -hmm. Um, Going on. We were trying to recall the similar ploy by Sinclair, and the Lurker's Guide had this to say. 
Londo's poisoning of Rifa bears a passing resemblance to Sinclair planting a transmitter in Jakar's intestinal tract, or rather claiming to, which raises the question, did Londo really poison Rifa or just say so? Like Sinclair, Londo might figure that the poison that doesn't exist can, can be flushed out by doctors. <clears throat> the Nightwatch part of the story was less engaging. They seemed very much just like thugs. Carl loved the rude, wisecracking AI. It is apparently similar to the one in Red versus Blue. Will thought you might get that? No? No, oh, sorry, my mic was muted. <laughs> I was I was saying I'll say like very little red versus blue, but I'll keep saying I'm gonna sit down and watch the whole thing. I think there are like thirteen seasons now. But it's pretty funny, yeah. Oh uh, no, I saw a couple of the seasons maybe ten years ago or something. Yeah, it's been around a while. <laughs> yeah. I've never really heard of it, I don't think. Yeah, it's a it's like it's a Halo thing where they use yeah in-game footage from them playing Halo and they do, like, voice acting over it. And they started it as a web series before YouTube even existed, I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, We'll be interested in hearing your thoughts about what people gave up and their secrets, especially Ivanova, Sheridan's, and Lanier's, which were all the same theme. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, they're all hiding, like, who they really love. That's interesting. Carl was not surprised that Lanier said he loves Celine. Was anyone surprised? And who is she fated for, and why would Lanier think that? Oh, come on, Lori. <laughs> <laughs> Car- what yeah. if she was, like, fated for some rando? Like, I mean... <laughs> yeah. character we've... Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> stinky. Stinky. Spider for stinky. <laughs> <laughs> or Bester. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> Carl said that Marcus should give up his hair. (laughs) (laughs) Carl also predicted that the AI would save the day and rescue Delenn. I would like to see a version of the app where that happens. Mm -hmm. However, Carl also noted that Delenn was saved because the knife that hit her was poorly thrown. He is currently learning practicing knife throwing. (laughs) Wow, that's awesome, Carl. (laughs) Yeah, don't piss Carl off. (laughs) Um, Quote um, Lanier, the we may sometimes look like you, but we are not you. Londo, um, I think we said this one about the um, uh, how many fronts um, they are. Oh, maybe not. Now I have been studying these reports from the front lines. You'll note the plural form, lines. Is there anyone along our border with whom we are not currently at war? And Lanier, opinion does not matter into it. Whatever is, is. Whatever is. is. And the, the thing about the um, Centauri thing is like the the bigger their border expands, the more borders will have with other yeah. worlds so mm-hmm. it's never ending um carl ratings two snappy new suits set reactor core ship coffin cliche of the episode eye scar oh that's a real scar though human thumbs up night watch person <laughs> what's that i don't remember the background player i guess alien londo glory rating seven out of ten recorded conversations Alien Londo, Human Sheridan. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Next, we have an email from Uncle. Which I can take. Hi, down below team. Here's some feedback to Ceremonies of Blood and Dark, or how I like to call it, Everyone Loves Delenn. It's definitely not the best episode. What? Sorry, it's definitely not the best episode, but what did we expect after Severed Dreams? At least it has some revelations for us. It makes 
<laughs> Sorry, that makes it somehow bearable to watch all those awful Nightwatch guys throughout the episode. Really, this whole group of criminals act like they are in, on some kind of drug. The Death. acting... So. Dust, maybe? <laughs> mm, if they were on dust, they'd go around raping uh, Delenn's mind. Uh, well, the acting makes some parts of the episode, well, not unwatchable, but somewhat annoying. A singing psychopath is all the Night Watch has to offer nowadays, really. <laughs> and then there's B Story with the station computer. At least they didn't leave it unmentioned that things could get ugly if Earthforce hacks their computer systems, but that could have been done without that awful joke of a male Siri. So, <laughs> really? Okay. So, what? So, while some parts of the episode really bothered me, others were quite enjoyable. Londo taking action against Reefer with poison. Too bad Reefer couldn't simply have killed him now. No mention of whether Londo has left some instructions with his men on Centauri Prime that if he dies, Reefer is to be given the second half of the poison. I guess we can just assume that Londo took care of it. Otherwise, it would have been stupid for Londo, although nicely acted, and because I have poisoned your drink. Uh, yeah, that quote. We can also now, with certainty, say that Delenn is sometimes gets under the skin of people. Heidi and Elizabeth mentioned in the last podcast that they would not have said what Delenn did to Jakar about him having changed. Now she does it to Londo, and he reacts with the exact pissed-off reaction anybody legitimately would have had, and then she does it to the singing psychopath. Not a good idea. Delenn, please learn to be a bit more diplomatic. Yes. Yeah, she's supposed to be a diplomat. <laughs> Agreed. While Marcus is a little annoying in the last episode he was in, he now actually gets a bit of personality and we learn about his past. I like that. And he's not the only one with some repressed anger or that, or for that sake, repressed feelings. Lenny's little secret is quite a revelation. I don't think Heidi and Elizabeth have guessed it, he was a lovely side character for most of the time, and he finally gets some story, although it is also quite creepy that he talks about a day about what he talks about and dangerous, as Marcus points out correctly uh when Linnaeus says, "We may look like you, but we are not the same. It is actually a good thought towards something I wanted to point out. It may seem slow between Delenn and Sheridan, for Heidi and Elizabeth, but when I first watched it, I liked it. It was not some instant love thing. They are from different races. With a war just a few years back, an awful history that may be tricky for the two of them. Also, Delenn has gone through the change, and all 
change. And it wasn't all glamour and happiness for her afterwards. The change. <laughs> I think about something else when I hear the change. Sorry. Yeah. I guess being in that situation any faster than the pace they were going would have been wrong. And well, now at least we have some drama and we're getting close to them acknowledging it at last. My thoughts on that topic. Sorry, just yeah, my thoughts I think on this that topic. is just the difference between having a good in-universe reason for something and being a viewer. You know what I mean? Right. Like as a viewer, you're kind of like, okay, we get it, you know. But like, of course, it makes sense that they would not rush into things, and you know, they they would take their time and figure out, okay, is this what I'm really feeling, or you know, how is this going to work, or whatever. I totally get that. But as a viewer, especially one that, for me, I'm not really completely on board with the whole thing. I am really just wanted it to continue. <laughs> like, okay. think, you know, speed it along. So, last little bit. So, the episode was an okayish one, I would say. I hate the side characters, and not because they are the bad guys. I would give it 6.5 out of 10 love relationships. Sorry, love relevant. Why can't I say that? Six point five out of ten love relevant revelations. Revelations. I want to revelation. Yeah, I wanted to put an L in. Oh, sorry, that was a Terminator podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Too many guys talking about revelations. (laughs) Oh dear, sorry. Only another week, Len. It gets under your skin if you are not careful. Human of the Week, Marcus for getting rid of repressed anger. Best quote, only the heir to the throne of a kingdom of idiots fights a war on 12 fronts. Cheers, photoshopped, anchor. <laughs> Thanks, Anka. Thanks, Anka. I think you have another assignment this week. Yeah. <laughs> okay, next we have an email from Derek. Derek says, Dearest Ambassadors, so things have calmed a little since last episode. One of the particular things I liked about the last episode that flows into this episode is the need for assistance from other worlds. Sheridan never says, well, President Clark won't send his forces back here since we showed them, but rather Babylon 5 is only safe, or so we think, as long as the Minbari stick around. The Vorlons don't seem inclined to help. The Centauri are on the other side. And the Narnians have exactly one ship left, I believe, and lots of other problems to deal with. Perhaps the Pachman rocket helped, mm-hmm. but do you really want to be inside a ship full of carrion eaters? Mm, no. I really try to keep an open mind about many, many things, but I used to have to travel past chicken farms and processing plants in Florida, and that was more than enough for me. So what was the purpose of this stupid plan anyway? Framing Sheridan for Delenn's murder? It's about as convoluted as Luke Skywalker's plan to get Han Solo away from Jabba the Hutt. Just throw a bunch of people together and see what happens. Since Earth history is tied in closely with our actual history, we know TV shows like Bugs Bunny exist. The Babylon crew should find a copy of The Prisoner to watch for all those weird symbols and songs. I'm assuming there was really talk amongst the podcast group about the Bone song and its relation to The Prisoner. Yeah. The prisoner, of course, the prisoner, excuse me, (laughs) of course, the prisoner is notorious for being mysterious and confusing and clearly having one of the strangest ends of any television series. So it might not help 
all that much. I still haven't finished the prisoner yet. I still don't understand. For it. Yeah, I'm listening. I still don't understand most of it, but it's still fun and recommended if you like Twin Peaks before Twin Peaks even existed. Here is what I believe the members of the crew should have really said when meeting with Delenn Franklin. Well, it's really not just one problem. <laughs> yeah, sure, I have the stems. When you look at the big picture, they just make you grumpy. My problem is that I'm a love machine. <laughs> just not enough people know it. My patients all think I'm sexy, particularly the unconscious ones. <laughs> but there are really, <laughs> but there are these silly medical regulations that make me keep my distance. Can I help it if I'm Dr. Honky? No. <laughs> Sheridan, my secret is that I really want a puppy, a golden retriever who can bring me a cup of freshly squeezed orange juice, my slippers, and my copy of the universe today. Oh, and my other problem is that I'm cheap. <laughs> I refuse to pay many fees based on principle. In about 25, 30 years, when I finally get enough courage to ask you out, Delenn, I'm going to make you go Dutch. (laughs) Ivanova. I don't really want to put anything else bad on Ivanova, as all her relationships have ended very badly, so she's cool. Marcus. My secret is that I really want to grow a mullet, but Ranger One, our boss, said it's both forbidden and tacky. <laughs> Garibaldi, I think I break one limb and it turns out to be another. Am I going crazy? Will I stub my toe next and lose my appendix? <laughs> I'm loving these. Jakar, I secretly miss my harem of Earth women now that I'm on some sort of dust fueled religious journey. Mm, that's the downside of that. <laughs> Clarence, it was me who took those roses to Ivana, but not Marcus. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm third in command, and he's some strange guy with a semi-mullet. I want those flowers back. Oh, and I wish I had a new uniform, too. <laughs> oh, Clarence. <laughs> Lanier, those pinkies I like to raise when I fight are just for show. <laughs> I was also lying about the ceremony of rebirth already passing. I was just too lazy to finish it. <laughs> Dr. Morden. I secretly hate that no one calls me Dr. Morden. <laughs> sure, Stephen Franklin has a medical degree, but I have a PhD, damn it. <laughs> That's why I joined with the Shadows. They were the only ones who addressed me by my proper title. Oh, fantastic. That's great. So Derek's rating seven and 7.75 knives implanted in ribs. Or someone has taken that 7.75 silly kidnap plots that don't make a lot of sense. Human of the Week, crazy guy who sang the Footbone song. That's an addictive little song. Yes, he sucks, but that's what I was thinking the whole episode. Oh, yikes. Alien of the Week, Delenn. She takes a knife in the back for a guy who hasn't even asked her on a proper date or done anything more than kiss her hand. Sheridan, grow some spoo for a backbone soon to ask her out. <laughs> That is all. Sorry for the long response. I'm almost done with finals, and after way too many papers, my editing skills have disappeared along with that what little sanity I ever possessed. Cheers again to the best damn podcast on the net. Thank you, Derek. Derek. Thanks, Derek. (laughs) I love those predictions. Next email is... I'm sorry. Next email is from Melanie. Uh, Hi, down below. This episode felt like an epilogue to the three-parter and a prologue to whatever's ahead of us. It was quite fittingly shown with the Mbari rebirth ceremony. Delenn said that she had demonstrated a small part of it two years ago. Unless it happened off screen or I'm forgetting something, that would be the ceremony that doubles as a marriage ritual. I haven't had time to go back and check. 
Yeah, that's, that's yeah, that's the one. Garibaldi mentioned that they didn't know about all the Night Watch members, and now we get to see some of them sabotaging the station. How the crazy singing guy didn't get caught sooner is beyond me. The phrase, don't go around shooting people, didn't seem to mean that much to him. I liked everyone's reactions. They seemed very in character. Sheridan wanted something they could use to find them. Lanier did what Delenn had asked of him, and Marcus stormed off, unwilling to let the past with his brother repeat itself. Also, do not under any circumstances stab Delenn in front of Sheridan. The artificial personality may be a bit silly. Why would they leave it there on auto start with the system? But I think it was a necessary lighter moment. We haven't had anything but impending doom for the last few episodes. Also, Londo po- poisons Reefa's drink. Any predictions on how this is going to play out? Oh. Hmm. I can't see him poison. I don't know. I guess if I had to predict one way or the other, I would just predict that Reefa doesn't get poisoned by Londo, but I don't know why. The end with... Maybe Veer does it. Ooh. The end with everyone in their new uniforms was nice. I'm looking forward to next week. Rating 8.8. Bonus for every scene with Marcus, 0.5. Final rating, 9.3 new uniforms. Human of the week, Marcus. Alien, Delenn. Uh, quotes, Marcus, um, the bugger, now I have to wait for someone to wake up. Uh, the repressed one. Um, the one about oversleeping. Um, Ivanova, peekaboo? Garibaldi, would you have guessed it? And then Londo's one about finding the war on many fronts, 12 fronts. Best regards, Melanie, the Krakovian beer fan. Thanks, Melanie. Thanks, Melanie. You aren't the pound of the beer fans. Yeah. <laughs> Next email is from... Guys, I think this is the most email we've ever gotten. I was going to say. This week and last week, yes. I don't think we've had this much before. Great. I can take Todd's. Yeah, Todd. Just a real short email since I'm running out of time. This episode benefited greatly from a rewatch. While I still don't, sorry, while I still dislike both the A and B plots, it did have several good scenes which made the episode watchable. The London and Reaper conversation, the origin story for 2260's newest superhero, Marcus Ranger, sorry, Ranger Marcus. <laughs> And the uniform reveal. Rating before rewatching, I would have given it a three or four, but now I'll go with six black and grey uniforms for a conspiracy of light. Favourite alien, Londo, for his one conversation with a honourable mention to Lanier. Favourite human, hmm, Marcus, I guess. Honourable mention to Dr. Franklin for realising he's a prob- got a problem. Certainly not Sheridan for de- leaving Delane wounded on the ground so he can go and beat up the bad guy. You're the guy in charge. Send a bunch of nans after him. They'll either catch up or run in front of him and get shot. Yeah. You can follow their trail of bodies right to the guy. <laughs> Looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the episode. Todd. Thanks, um, Todd. Thanks, Todd. You've rounded out this week's feedback. Yeah, thanks for all thanks the feedback. Thanks, everybody. 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 Wow. Makes us feel loved. So, you know, to send us feedback, that's mail it down below podcast.com or the Facebook group or the website. Mm. Give us an iTunes review if you, if you like us. If not, eh. <laughs> <laughs> 
If you don't like us, then stroke off. No, yeah. <laughs> probably haven't gotten here. This part, if you don't like us, yeah, it's like episode seventy something or yeah, it's like it's like oh man, I hate this podcast. Oh, I gotta listen to it every week. <laughs> I've heard of hate watching, but not hate <laughs> listening. So now let's do predictions. The next episode is if I'm saying this right. Sick transit beer. Yeah, it's what? the what? S O C is the spelling. Sick. Sick. Oh come on! Latin thing. I need to look it up. I think it means like thus passes beer or something like that. Um, yeah, that's one way of saying it. But thus sick passes beer. Sick. Yep. Like the that's what I've heard. Yep. Yep. Um, that's but also it, it has also sick has another use. It can be used when you're writing about something and you spell a word incorrectly. Right. Specifically incorrectly. You can put sick next to it in brackets sometimes or... That is true. You know, like if you're say, quote, Yeah, it's a and quote. And the quote, it's, they misspelled. They yeah. Sick. That means that you're deliberately putting the misspelling in there. Yep. So you've Latin got word. those two possibilities. The Latin word literally means man, so it might be read as so goes man. Yes, when it's, um, that's, that's, yeah, it's a double entendre in the sense that, uh, the Latin phrase, sic transit vir, um, means, uh, yeah, thus passes man. But, you know, in our context, of course, that's going to mean something else because we have a character whose name is spelled the same way. So, this is a vir episode, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> um, which makes me happy and quite excited to uh, watch this episode because I love fear. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, I remember this episode now. <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm out. We really stumped you, haven't we? <laughs> wow. Um, Veer, uh, becomes a brewer. In this episode, we thought it was going to be a long ways down the line, but no, it's right now. And and then he dies. Oh, no. No, because that means Londo is emperor right away, and that can't happen for a while. <laughs> well, what do we know about Veer? We know he's the on Membar, and he comes sometimes. Maybe he's going to convert to Men- Membar. Membari. <laughs> Membariism. <laughs> Membariism. Uh, he wants to. He wants to be part of the religious caste. Yes, and so he has lots of ceremonies he wants to do. He's going to be a ranger slash. Uh, yeah. Yes, he's going to train with Marcus. Oh, that would be sweet. And Clarence can join them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Training session with all three. Training ranger montage. Clarence. Okay, that's my prediction. <laughs> Yeah, I just see that training montage with, like, Marcus and Veer doing, like, push-ups and stuff like that. Yes! <laughs> oh. He's, like, yelling at him, come on! Yeah. Clarence and him are doing uh, exercises. Yeah, while in the background, um, Lanier passes by on a motorbike. Yes. Right, exactly. <laughs> and then and then Veer needs he... to do, like, chin-ups or something, and he's you see him, like, doing them really fast, and then um, you... Uh, pan down and he's standing <laughs> on a box. Right, exactly. No, he's, he's on um, Clarence's shoulders. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> I want this show right now. Yes. Okay, Elizabeth, I have a question. I want I want to know if you think that we're going to get a Sheridan Dillon kiss before the end of season three. Yes. Unless his wife comes back. Then all bets are off. <laughs> that is true. Um, what about you? Yeah, I think so. I'm going to say within the next five episodes. Ooh. Ooh. All right. Is this like Price is Right? Do I have to say Price is Right? (laughs) You want to go over or under? Six? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'll say six. Okay. (laughs) So if it's anything past six, you win because you're closest without going over. Right. But if it's within the next three, we both uh, zero out and go bankrupt. (laughs) By episode 16. Yep. Well, there is only 11 left. But no, I'm sticking with six. I point oh one. All right. And I think the rest of our predictions are probably similar. Yeah. yeah. Nothing really new this time. So I am really wanting to know what's happening with Centaur Centauri you know, with the shadows and the whole Centauri thing. Like what's uh-huh. happening yeah. there. And I still want to and know it. where Kosh is because he's just Oh not yeah. Existing. Kosh hasn't been around forever. No. He's just he's doing re- nothing. He was so busy for a while. Now he's just, now yeah. he's just like ignoring everyone. He's not showing himself. He's not revealing himself. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's oh, he's good. off somewhere with Lita, probably. Uh huh. <laughs> revealing himself to her. <laughs> <laughs> She's been changed by the whole. Yeah. Ah, uh, so Elias, thanks for joining us again. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure, guys. I love it. I. This is my favorite show, and I, I love talking to you guys about it. It's so much fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's always a good time. Yeah. So remind us where we can find you out there. Um, you can find me on Facebook um, under um, the name for my company. We are the Dragonfly Circus, and we perform uh, all around doing um, circus arts and fire spinning at um, music and art festivals all over the country. And. That's what I was just doing. Uh, coming back, um, I just uh, worked uh, at a festival this past weekend and came back all loopy and unslept to do do the podcast real quick to make sure I got back where there was internet access. And uh, and uh, now I'm going to go sleep for a very long time. After <laughs> the dreams of Delenn and Linnea. That's right. That's right. And space spiders. Right, exactly. <laughs> Well, that is all we have for this week, folks. We'll be back next time with Sick Transit Beer. But until then, goodbye. Be seeing you. Drunk off. See you, everybody. Thanks again. Look for us on the web in iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. Also, downbelowpodcast.com, facebook.com slash group slash downbelowpodcast, and twitter.com slash downbelowcast. <laughs>